and welcome again to a novel evening. Uh, as ever, I'm your host, Danny. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books and over on TikTok as a novel evening podcast. Um, yes, and welcome. I'm very excited this week um, to talk all about a novel that contains pretty much all my favourite things. Uh, I love historical fiction for a start. Um, it is one of my first literary loves. Um, I cannot get enough really good historical fiction and this absolutely fits the bill. Um, and I also love stories about witchcraft. Um, something else I cannot get enough of. And this book has it all. Uh, we have a witch hunter apprentice with a deadly secret caught in the middle of a civil war. Uh, the book is The Revels. The author is Stacey Thomas. And oh my goodness. I mean, if if what I'm saying hasn't sold this to you, um, you know, you have no hope. Because um, <laughs> it, it is such a good book. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. I'm super excited to chat Stacey all about her inspiration for the novel, where the idea came from, and I'm excited to delve into her fantasy fictional night of fun. So a huge hello to Stacey. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm like really excited to be here. This is my first podcast. So yeah. Oh my god, the pressure. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like I've been listening to so many of like um, a novel evening um episode. So yeah, no, I'm really happy like this is the first one I'm going on. So yay. Thank you so much. It's super super <laughs> to have you on it. You know, it's always really exciting, especially when we're getting someone with like a debut novel coming on to talk all about it because I think there's something so amazing about that first book that gets out there yeah it must feel so surreal has it sunk in yet it's kind of like it's starting to because we've been sending out the second like wave of proofs and it's like um yesterday I went on like a proof drop around like the London bookstores and I was also up north like a few weeks ago so it is really like starting to sink in that yes in a few weeks my book is going to be like published and it's it's exciting but it's also just really like scary at the same time yeah, I so bet. yeah Oh my goodness. I mean, the proofs are gorgeous as well. I mean, that must be so exciting when you get to hold that in your hands. I know. It's like basically when I was doing the proof drops, my publicist kept reminding me, okay, now you have to hand the book over. Because it's kind of like, I was just kind of like, I'm I kind of like, I'm giving my the pitch of my book. And then it's sort of like, I'm holding onto it. And it's like, yeah, I don't actually want to hold it on. Like I'm handed over because like the cover is so brilliant. Like the cover designer, Andrew Davis, like I keep saying he really like knocked it out of the park just because it's just so elaborate. And it's like, I want to just hold all the copies to myself. Oh, and I imagine like in your head, you probably picture how it's going to look and then you see it and it's probably so much more than you thought it was going to be. Definitely. Like, even like when I saw the initial like concepts, it was kind of like, I would have been happy like with the first like version they came up with. And then it's like, each one just got better and better. So I feel like if it was up to me to design the cover, it's like, I would have never got anywhere close to like, what like Andrew Davis did. So it was like, it was beyond my wildest dreams. Oh my goodness. And you know, I bet when you've worked on this novel for so long to see it come to fruition, I mean, did you ever kind of expect that this was going to happen? Or was this something that was like just a dream that you couldn't wrap your head around? 
I feel like when I started writing it, like I had a good feeling about it because I wrote like one novel before, which basically I couldn't even get an agent for. And it was like, it was terrible. And it was like, it was YA, like contemporary fantasy. And it's like, I'd always like loved historical fiction. So I grew up kind of reading it and like watching all the period dramas, but it's kind of like, I never tried to write it beforehand before the rebels because I was always just so intimidated by the research so when I started writing it I was like okay I'm writing in the genre that you know I really love and like a story that I'm really passionate about so I was kind of quietly hopeful that things would turn out well but then I just remembered saying to a friend that you know if this book doesn't work out then it's like I'm going to write another one and like hopefully it'll be third time in a charm but it was like second time lucky which I'm really thankful for amazing and I was going to say that's such a departure from you know YA contemporary fiction into historical fiction I mean I love both as well I'm a big fan of both but I mean it must be so different like you say to delve into that you know that research must be really intimidating yes like I feel like I just remembered like I spent like six months um like researching the rebels and even while I was writing it I was still continuing to kind of like read up on like the history as well but it got to a point where I just read this book and I can't remember the name of it but it was talking about like Stuart society and like it just it was really helpful because it just made me realize yes in those times people were people even if there are hundreds and it's kind of like sometimes when you're researching it you can really like lose sight of that so it was kind of like trying to add those period details to the story but like not kind of letting it kind of like overwhelm you in a way yeah because like you say life was still life a lot of what people did was very similar to what we do now yes yes and it's actually it's kind of scary like how similar it can be like especially when you just look at the witch hunts and then you compare it to kind of like the modern day witch hunts as well it's sort of like we've learned like nothing from that time period literally so for anyone who's listening who's not familiar with the book or hasn't yet picked up a blurb or, or read about it tell us about your novel tell us what it's about okay so I'll give you the elevator pitch So it's set in um, England, 1645, during the English Civil War, and it follows an aspiring playwright who's apprenticed to an infamous former judge um, after his brother dies. The only problem is that um, the judge is like a former witch hunter, and like Nicholas, my main character, is a witch who can hear the dead sing. So the story is all about him trying to survive while getting drawn into a really gruesome witch hunt, and also finding love for the first time as well. Oh, I love it. it. And it's really interesting to me that you chose to go for a male main character as your kind of central witch. I thought that was really an interesting choice. Yes, like, so it's so funny because when I just like, when I first started writing it, I was actually going to write like um, from the perspective of like a woman and then kind of have her like kind of dress up, like take on her brother's identity to become like a witch hunter's apprentice. And then it was kind of like, actually like, let's kind of like, make him a male character instead and it's like I think it was because it's like I love like a lot of like the witch stories like Stacey Hall's The Familiar, um, Kieran uh, Millwood Hargraves and The Mercies but then I was kind of like oh god like these books are so brilliant I need like like a different kind of hook to kind of allow me to make it like my own so that's why I wanted to write like from a male like perspective and then with the YA kind of book I wrote like that had a male like protagonist in it as well so I was kind of like okay that failed let's see if I can like have another stab at it and like make it better but like you know writing in the genre that you know I I love the most 
Alliance? And is this a time period that you've always been interested in, kind of with the Civil War? And what drew you to write in this time period? Oh, I feel like I wanted to write. Um, so initially I was going to sell it um, during like King James. So like kind of like a few years earlier, like kind of 1612 during the Pendle Witch Trials. But I feel like I was drawn to the Civil War because I feel like when I'm reading stories, I like it when like the society feels unstable because I feel like a lot of the times that's when a lot of drama happens. And usually like people who are very cautious, they'll look at kind of all the instability and go like, okay, you know what society is upside down like let's kind of like take a chance to you know get what we want before like you know people remember themselves and society becomes quite fixed and it's like when you just look at the time period as well like during the English Civil War you had like the witch history at that time and you had Matthew Hopkins who pretended to have like a you know a title from parliament like witchfinder general which he would use to go and hunt witches so you would just have all these kind of really kind of bold people like really kind of taking their chance to kind of grab as much power as possible because obviously society was just so like unstable at the time period so I feel like that's what kind of drew me to like the English Civil War. And obviously Nicholas is not only is he at risk because of the, the country being unstable as a whole, but obviously he's in a really perilous position. Yes. <laughs> I love that you still, you've put some magic in that. You know, it's still got that, that element of magic in the supernatural. You know, when you were doing that, did you always kind of know you were going to bring that into the story? Yes. So basically when I was writing, because I love like books that have that kind of supernatural twist and it's kind of like, I love fantasy, but it's like, I didn't want to go too fantasy. And at times my agent had to kind of pull me back from kind of, yeah. (laughs) But it's kind of like, I always love that book. I always love those books where they have that kind of slightly fantastical element. And there was just something about Nick and Nicholas hearing the dead sing that I was like, oh my God, I really want to kind of like weave this into the story. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about when you can hear the dead. There's something so potent about that as well. And I think it's, especially because this was a quite a superstitious time as well, because you had Catholics versus Protestants. You had a lot of religious feeding into it. So things like being able to hear the dead, that wasn't something that was taken lightly in those times. Yeah, no, they really like, they were really, as you said, very like superstitious. And it was like when I was just like really kind of diving into the past, it was that like, I think a lot of the times you can look at the witch hysteria and the beliefs and you can kind of just scoff like, oh my God, they really believed it. And it's like, yeah, they did because it was just an idea that, you know, people believe that, you know, if you were evil, you would go to hell, like you had to live like a righteous life. So that kind of fear of the supernatural was ever like, present and when you just think about like people's life expectancies like life was really short like people Mm. would die from like really like illnesses that would be very easy to treat today so it was kind of that thing it's like you know you live like you know death like you basically you live side by side with death so it was that thing you were constantly just looking for omens so it was just really fascinating to kind of get like to kind of like explore that kind of world and and I actually read like the real life like witch trap and like um transcripts as well and it was just so like it was really I'm going to be honest it was so bizarre to just read the accusations you know like 
people believing that oh yes this witch like you know turned into a flying horse and kidnapped me and you're just like oh my god like how could you get up in a jury and like tell that story and it's sort of like you know it's obviously some of these accusations would be malicious but yeah. sometimes people would believe it and then to have these witches convicted it's like yeah a jury would actually have to believe believe yeah. that when it's kind of like you know to us like this is just a complete like fiction it was but when yeah. you look at it, like even when you look at works like the crucible and then you look at the salem witch trials hysteria is such a big part of what yes fueled all of this I just remembered watching the film version of The Crucible and it's like, it's that moment where like the the kind of the accusations reach, it's tight. So it's just showing all the people being round up and arrested. And I just remembered like one like young girl, I think she kind of broke this stick on accident or there was like this little, and it just showed like this, um, one of like the like the aldermen of the town like he just looked his eyes went like this like he was like oh god that little girl's put a spell on me and it's like you people have just completely lost your mind yeah. and that's but. what it is it really is people and it is usually men in power that tend to yes. and I think there's something to be said about men in power being threatened I know men were also accused of witchcraft but you know when it was very focused on women it was usually a real fear of women, like learned women. A lot of these women were herbalists and were women yes. who alone or they were midwives. And that's something I think is really interesting. Yes. Like, so basically like with like a lot of these, with a lot of the women, it was kind of like, because obviously widows were like a threat in those times because it was the idea. It's like they weren't kind of subject to a man's authority. So it's like, it was just interesting. Like a lot of widows would be accused and also like women dependent upon parish relief as well, because during the English civil war, a lot of people were suffering financially. Mm. And um, I just remembered one couple who were like one woman who was accused um, um, she had previously she and her husband I think they were like cobblers and it's like they became like impoverished during the English Civil War and then they were accused of witchcraft and I remember like the this writer I can't remember the book um, but the writer was just saying it was probably because the neighbours like they became really scared seeing you know a kind of financially solvent couple just become really poor and it was like the idea they just wanted to get rid of it because you know it's kind of like when you look at the cost of living crisis today like you know people are getting poorer and it's kind of scary to kind of see like your your neighbors like people who would have been on your financial level going through those hard times because you just realize oh god it could be me so it's sort of like oh let's just accuse them of witchcraft because the idea is like we can like get rid of like you know the problem even though you know it could still happen to you and um, I just remembered reading this book royal witches as well and like some of the kind of like you know women like being accused of witchcraft you know you had like Elizabeth Woodville and like one of this um like duke's kind of wife accused of witchcraft and often these women were accused because they were powerful but then also it was a way for like their accusers to get to the men through them as well so yeah. it's really interesting when you just kind of tap into why these women were being um, like prosecuted in that yeah. way yeah and you said earlier you know even now you can draw parallels from modern day witchcraft you know witch hunts and modern day persecution and again it's really interesting you say like we haven't learned from that I think people think it's so beyond what we would ever do now but even when you look at women in prominent positions like Meghan Markle you look at someone yes. become prominent has risen up from nothing and has come into this kind of scenario how quickly and I know now it's done through magazines and back then you know you would spread word you know if you heard of someone being a witch the word would be spread 
Yes. Yeah, no, because I feel like when you're just, you know, looking at it, there is that kind of that, you know, jealousy as well, because it wasn't just poor women who were being targeted, it was rich women as well. And I just remember like with Elizabeth Woodville, like it's kind of interesting to see maybe that parallel with Meghan Markle in some sense, because obviously, you know, she was she was from a distinguished family, but you know, at the time when she met her husband, like her second husband, the king, you know, she was financially her family were were struggling so it was that idea that she hadn't actually earned her place so you could just see that the resentment was there like from the beginning and um yeah and like you know yeah, and the... you look at, like Anne Boleyn as well you know she came from who were essentially a commoner family I know they were well bred but they really yeah their way up she married a king and that was the immediate accusation that's made she must be a witch to be able to get yes. like years from nothing she must be and it's the same for you know men I imagine as well who have managed to claw their way up from nothing back in two times you look at Wolsey and Cromwell and they really came from really humble beginnings and worked their way up and that's really what earns you enemies isn't it when you yes get- because yeah. I think it's just that idea like um because I feel like you know in the past and I guess even now it's like when a woman kind of marries like a you know a wealthy or established man you know there's going to be that resentment but it's an idea like a woman kind of like takes a man's kind of like you know position away and I just yeah. remember like for my second book I'm having to like read kind of like the Debrett's book so it's interesting like if a man kind of marries a titled woman when they're going to the event it's like he takes on the status of his wife but if his wife isn't there then he reverts to like his normal position so when you just think about if you're going to those really kind of you know elaborate kind of banquets it's kind of like you know if you were sitting in the head of the table with your wife and your wife isn't there what happens like when she if she isn't you go straight back to like where you were sitting before so it's really interesting to just kind of see like the hierarchies of power in a way. Yeah, and it's obviously you gave a little hint about book two there, a little, yeah. <laughs> a little, a little preview. But I mean, how does it feel when you're writing book two? Is it a very different process to your first book? I feel like so basically with the revels looking back I would say like I wrote it quite quickly because like when I like started to write it like I got a scholarship to kind of attend the Curtis Brown Creative Writing School so so that was like a really good experience because I was getting feedback from everyone else in the course and then that kind of helped me to kind of write it like a lot like quicker as well especially since I was being mentored by um like the author Claire McIntosh she was amazing and then I feel like with book two it's like I'm having to write it like quicker but then it's kind of like it is a different feeling and I guess it's that kind of you know pressure because obviously there's a kind of like there's a deadline you're writing to a deadline and then it's also when I just think about the revels it's like I had more people looking at it I had people in my course you know I I won this Harper Collins competition so I got mentoring feedback from like the editor and author Phoebe Morgan and like with book two it's kind of that thing where there'll be less eyes on it so it's kind of like you put there's a lot more pressure to have like a really good first draft because you just realize you'll probably have like a few kind of edits with your editor and then it's sort of ready to go and then even like with the revels I was kind of editing it right until the last minute like to November last year when it finally had to go to like to be proofread and even then it was like I was adding stuff during the copy edits I was still doing a bit more research as well and it's like with book two it's like you're just constantly looking at the calendar just like oh my god like my day the days are like going I'm losing I'm losing time and trying (laughs) to like rush yeah I feel like the experience of being editing with 
edited with like the first book I don't know I feel like it's made me it's definitely made me a better writer so I'm hoping that even though I have less time I'm a bit more like kind of dedicated with how I approach the story yeah and you've got to believe in yourself a bit more when you don't have that support network around you you've got to have a bit more faith in your ability and what you can achieve definitely yes yeah so I think it's just like you got this uh, thank you yeah no I feel like it's having that like confidence and like when I do kind of have that kind of you know loss of confidence then I I always just kind of like look at the like the feedback my editor's giving me and then like some of like some of my friends like really nice reviews so that kind of reminds me like yes I've got this and like I can still write so yeah and are you sticking with historical fiction do you see yourself continuing with that or do you think you might dip a toe back into fantasy at some point so my second book, it's set during the 1950s. So I'm definitely sticking with historical fiction. And then it's it's kind of like, I don't know, like I see myself sticking with historical fiction. I feel in a way like I have the best of both worlds because my second book still has that kind of supernatural edge to it. Okay. Um, but then potentially with my third book, it might be more kind of like straight historical fiction. And I feel like with fantasy, like, I'd love to write like fantasy or sci-fi and it's like I have an idea but it's kind of like when you have a concept but it's kind of like I feel like if I if I had to write like if my book two was kind of my fantasy or sci-fi idea it's like I would probably just be panicking right now you pr- I'd yeah. probably basically be on the podcast I just lines all under my eyes from stress because I feel like it's a good idea but to write to write it how I want to write it it's like I'd really need time to kind of outline it so yeah, yeah. and I guess with historical fiction you've got a little bit of a kind of frame to work around and build around yes. events happening that you can build around whereas with fantasy yeah. it's got to all come out your head yes yeah and then it's because when you just realize that the, when you read that like, the really great kind of fantasy authors it's like I'm just so in awe of like you know how they can just really kind of world build from scratch and I guess maybe it's the same thing with historical fiction where I was just so intimidated to start and it's like it's kind of like with fantasy it's like I'm so intimidated to start it but like I'll eventually kind of have a like a proper stab in the have an idea but for yeah. now like I'm kind of just happy to like read and kind of learn from the best oh I love that I love yeah. that I know what you mean I, I love to write fantasy as well and quite often I'll write something and then I'll pick up something by one of them you know an amazing fantasy author and I'll just think what am I doing I can't <laughs> build, I can't build a world like I mean there's like maps and they're traveling or there's like incredible deep dense magic and I'm like I can't do this <laughs> I think for me it's like the moment where I'm like oh god I can't do this is when it's like they make up their own language and it's like, oh god it's like where where does this come from <laughs> it's a, I feel like you've unlocked a different part of your brain when you can just create I, I think like Tolkien I'm like how his brain didn't work like ours there's no way yeah. <laughs> It's absolutely incredible. Now, look, we, we've learned from this. You obviously are a fan of different genres. You obviously read different genres. So in terms of a novel evening, I feel like this is going to be a mixed bag. I feel like anything could go here. Okay. <laughs> That's I feel like I'm, yeah, I feel like I might disappoint you because it will probably be a bit more grounded, but like... Oh. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. Okay, okay. So when we start this, the first thing I usually ask is, where are we going to go for your evening? Okay, so this is the place where I've been to like twice already, but it's like I can easily go like basically probably like a a million times. So 
but I'm planning on taking us to the Painted Hall at the old Royal Naval College, just because I really kind of love the kind of mythological like paintings on the ceiling. And it's kind of like, I just love how, you know, beautiful it is. And it's like, every time you look at the paintings, you can just unlock like another like hidden detail. So I believe kind of like having a dinner party there would just be really like special. Oh, I can imagine it all like lit up with candles. Yes, really yes. Beautiful. Okay. Oh my God, I love it. I've never been, just because it's not somewhere I've ever thought about, you know, visiting and you've said yeah. that, I'm like, oh, that sounds incredible. Like, I highly like recommend it because it's kind of like you have like the, the River Tame, like just on the doorstep mm -hmm. and then you have the outside grounds, which is just really beautiful. And then when you buy your ticket, you can get like free guided tours as well. So yeah oh, highly okay. recommend it oh it's that's going on my list and I want to see yes. it I want to see this beautiful painted ceiling because there's something about a painted ceiling isn't there wherever you go yeah or there's something about someone stood painting like above their heads and making something that beautiful I know it's kind of like I, you're just looking at like, you're just wondering how is this possible and it's kind of like you're trying to get yourself like contort your body just to wonder like oh god how could they actually do that and like keep their balance as well yeah and I think about things like the Sistine Chapel where they'd have just been on like wooden stilted platforms do you know what I mean oh, it was not god. safe <laughs> yeah no it gives me I have a slight fear of height so it like it always just like I always have a bit of as much as I admire I always have a bit of a shudder when you just think oh god like they would have had to have like really balanced and stuff like oh. yeah. and for someone else you know who also has a bit of fear the thought of you know not having a shaky hand having such a steady hand you can create that much beauty is is mad to me yeah <laughs> so we're gonna go we're gonna have all the candelabras lit it's gonna be beautiful so we're gonna have a dinner party so who's the first person who's gonna be welcomed in okay so given my kind of like childhood love of like everything witchy I would have to say and this might be a con controversial choice but Nancy Downs from The Craft <laughs> like oh, yes oh no yeah. I absolutely do I love The Craft so yeah. much I was a bit of a goth girl in my teen years and obviously every goth girl goes through that <laughs> yeah <laughs> period why Nancy in particular well I think I just love like how volatile she is and it's like sometimes when I've been to like kind of dinner parties sometimes you know everyone's nice everyone's on their best behavior but it's sort of like I want a bit of like I don't know like a bit of that kind of villainous kind of atmosphere so I think that's going to inform my choice as to who I would invite but it's like I kind of just love like because with Nancy in the film it's like she really kind of went for it in terms of like when she had her witchcraft powers it wasn't like oh I'm going to be like a good witch it's like no I'm going to like get my money and it's like I'm going to get revenge on that boy who you know treated me like shit and I was like yeah I just I just loved it when she just lost her temper oh, and that's what I love about the yeah. craft it's not about girls being nice and it's not even about girls you know finding redemption or remorse really it really is about girls being set loose and being feral yes yeah Which and I it's like that. I know and it's like I always remember that like bit light as a feather stiff as a ball and yes. I just remember trying that out with my friends as well so yeah <laughs> I feel like everybody did that but what you're basically doing is taking a live grenade and throwing it into your party right from the get-go yes I am okay <laughs> and then it's kind of like I'm going to invite a character who will probably like basically cause that grenade to go off so basically oh, grace so you're creating drama 
yes yes oh. so I'm going to invite Grace from my from my book just because I love her sharp put downs oh, so I feel gosh. like yeah I just yeah that's gonna be a really interesting mix straight away they'll either be best of friends yeah or um or enemies really- yeah, they'll be tra- trading like barbs all night until Nancy's like, oh, God, you know what? I'm just going to cast a spell to get rid of her. And Grace is like, oh, I'm going to use my magic too. And then it's like everyone will be slowly kind of pushing their chairs away so they don't get caught in the crossfire. Yeah, and you're bringing magic into this party as well. This is some, this is some, you don't have like a disclaimer for the other guests when they come. I know. <laughs> but like um, my next guest will hopefully kind of, keep people on their best behavior or i can kind of just maybe use him as like a bodyguard have you been watching that new show called rabbit hole with keeper sutherland no i've seen it advertised and bizarrely i went to the cinema and they advertised it in the cinema really quite unusual for a tv show but they're really marketing it aren't they yeah like i really love it like i don't really know exactly what's going on but it's kind of like your spy kind of corporate espionage thriller but like it has like charles dance plays like the father of keith sutherland and it's like i just kind of love like his no-nonsense approach like he just says at one point like you know when in doubt take them out in terms of like an intern they think is spying on them so I feel like I would invite him I would invite his character to the dinner party because it's sort of that thing Charles's character is coming yes he plays Dr Ben Wilson so it's kind of that thing it's like if things are getting a bit hairy I could I could um you know rely on him to you know kind of neutralize any friends there's something about him isn't there Charles Dance is like wolfish like yeah being a good character you know there's something else going on under the surface there's something about him like I really like like it like his character like him as an actor but like yeah he is like there's something very menacing about him where it's sort of like if you ran into him on a dark night you just sort of be smiling and just looking for the exit and even then it's like you wouldn't turn your back to him you just kind of backpedal the way just keep smiling like the nicest man I actually have a friend um, who's a bit younger than me, who has a bit of a crush on Charles Dance. Oh, and- God. I, yeah, I think he's known as, like, a silver fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, little, oh. he's a little too silver for my taste. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit on the too silver, but she loves him. And I think, I'm sure in real life, he's a lovely man, and he seems very well-read. And I know he did, um, he did the big fat quiz of the year where he'd read out erotic novels. Really? Oh, okay. oh, it's so funny to watch. And he does it in his like really serious fire. Like he's in an armchair, but like a roaring fire. Oh, my God. He's got, like deep, you know, that really menacing voice. And it's so funny. So I think he could probably laugh at himself quite well. But yeah, I, mean, I think he's very intimidating as an actor. And all of his, you know, Tywin Lannister was terrifying. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's not that thing. So I don't know. I think he's going to come in the party and be. Yeah, be a little bit scary. It might put people in their place, though. Yeah, like kind of keep it like kind of wild, but not kind of too over the top. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's we've got three guests so far. How many more have we got coming? So we have three more to come, if I'm counting correctly. That's so okay. 
so I made like I've made a gross mistake I forgot to kind of mention like our our costumes so it's like for our dinner party we need to make sure that you know we're dressed like in our best kind of clothes so I've got like a designer Charles James like he was a real life designer and um his last words were when he died in um like a hotel in Chelsea in New York was it may not mean anything to you but I am what is popularly regarded as the greatest courtier in the western world and then he died the next day but it's like how is that for like your last kind of proper line that's but and that's something that you're gonna be remembered for like that is balls yeah like he was like he was just a really kind of famous um like designer known for his sculptural kind of you know dresses and outfits and also known for his giant ego as well because he would just charge ridiculous prices for his clothes he was famous for taking years to complete dresses for clients and then sometimes asking for the dress back and then not giving it back or giving it back to other clients or kind of using it in advertisements so I think it's just that thing it's like he'll have the dresses for us but it would have been that thing where it's like those dresses we've been waiting years for those dresses and probably will go and it's kind of like Grace will find that the dress that she wanted Nancy's wearing and she's wearing someone else's oh, dress oh you're and... up some more trouble with the yes yes wow I see you yeah what a diva as well what I love is that you could get away with that behavior in the fashion world and people will go back yeah because he like he designed for like the really kind of like wealthy women and even they thought like what he was charging was too much because I think he like he he spent like twenty thousand dollars perfecting like a sleeve like a dress sleeve and it's so it's sort of that idea like it's more money than sense but it was like he saw himself as an artist and I guess when you kind of put yourself on that pedestal it's just like oh you know it's just money even if it's hundreds of thousands of dollars it's just like I'm creating art so you can't put a price like I'm worth it I'm worth that money so either pay it or don't yeah but like I just like I just love the love the ego although I guess like in real life you probably wouldn't have been like the most pleasant person to be around so maybe it'll be that thing it's like I'll invite him but it's like he can just drop off the dress like have a drink and then you know we'll get Charles Dolls to escort him out I just love I don't know if there's any other industry in the world where you can get away with that behavior and actually become more popular because of it yeah yeah because it's kind of like we do really kind of like worship those kind of like designers like with those huge egos and that kind of really kind of like diva attitude all and... of them you know Carl Lagerfeld and John Galliano and they're all known for being either like horrendously angry or rude or and they're like beloved yeah yeah see oh my gosh. but we're gonna have glorious outfits hopefully. yes yes and hopefully they'll all be finished as well it won't be that kind of weird thing where it's like the top is done and then the skirt's just all kind of like shredded yeah yeah okay okay I mean yeah maybe just come in for a drink say thank you make sure the dresses are acceptable and how we're wearing them and then he probably yes. wouldn't stay anyway it was <laughs> what I mean I feel like even those people who'd be like I can't stay so I'm gonna leave yes That's so I so I guess in relation to my next guest, I feel like the people at the dinner party, they're quite like, they're quite, they're kind of like your divas in that, you know, they have like a lot of like, you know, high ambitions and it's like, you know, they're all kind of fighting for like power and control. So I feel like our next guest, we need someone who's quite strategic and who best than Amy from Gone Girl? 
Yes. You know You're the second person in not a very long amount of time to say Amy from Gone Girl, which I think is so interesting. Oh, who was the first person to suggest? It was a friend of mine, an author named Michael um, Cerise, who is absolutely amazing. Uh, he writes a lot of YA, but oh my goodness. When, and when he said that, I was like, what? Like, because she's... <laughs> I really, I don't, I don't see her as a, I mean, okay, yes, like, she's questionable, I guess, but it's like, I don't really see her, okay, maybe she is the villain, but it's like, you know what, I still love her, okay. That's what's so interesting about Amy Dunn as, as a character, because the things she does are absolutely repugnant, really, yes. but because her husband is such a swine, you're literally cheering her. I'm like, yes, absolutely ruin his life. Yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of like, I just remembered like when I was just first reading it and I was like, oh God, like how many stories do I have to read where it's like, you know, the woman is being cheated on and it's like, she's just kind of having to put up with it. And then you got to the twist and I was like, oh my God. It's like, I was literally like in bed reading it and I just really settled down. I was like, okay, I'm going to be staying up all night to finish this. But it's like, I just kind of loved kind of seeing her like, kind of you know take control even though you know yeah she she does go too far like it is but it's sort of that thing it's like the first sorts of people she encounters it's like you know they're not like completely innocent either so it's like I always just felt a bit sorry for her because obviously like you know when the novel starts she's stuck with her cheating husband and his sister who's basically just disrespecting her even though she's given them like kind of all her money to open the bar so it's that thing it's like she's uprooted her life and it's like she she's stuck <laughs> I think yeah. again like like Nancy in the craft you know I said about women being feral there's something really liberating about seeing a woman just go fuck it I'm, yeah, gonna, yeah. I'm going to give you everything I've got. And she is absolutely certifiably insane, but she's so clever about it. Yeah, I think what I like about it, it's like, she's just like, yeah, she's crazy. But then it's like, it's all hidden under that really kind of calm exterior. So there's something about it that's really kind of menacing, but also like really delightful to read about it because you just never really know what to expect from her. And so it's just so interesting at the end that like, um, you know, Nick is just happy to, well, stay married to her because it's like, well, his Terrifying life is never going, well. yeah, yes. his life is never going to be boring. Like, yeah. Okay, I mean, that's a bold choice. I think that's the most terrifying of your guests so far, actually. <laughs> I, just, so, I don't know what she's going to do. I know, I know. I feel like I should choose someone cheerful because I feel like, yeah, the the kind of like the evening could be a bit kind of, you know, tense. Like maybe it's a sign I need to read kind of more kind of, you know, lighthearted books, um, which are which are on my TBR list. I've just... <laughs> I've just I'm slowly making my way through all the kind of dark kind of like you know yeah, dark, you're in the it's like, dark stuff. Yeah. yeah yeah but it's like my last guess would be um Tommy um from my friends um Pim Wagechawat's The Moon Represents My Heart which oh, is like this beautiful story about a time traveling family but it's like I always thought it would be useful I love Tommy's character even though you know sometimes he 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 does stuff that's a bit questionable but I still I still love him but it's like, I just think it would be so useful to have like a time traveller in the mix. And considering that my guests are from all different time periods, it's kind of like when they outstay their welcome, I'll just be like, Tommy, could you could you um, take them home now? 
also if you want to leave because things are getting too volatile you can just go to another time period yeah yeah because it's kind of like when you just think about this seating if like you know charles dance's character is too so just like okay tommy like you need to get out let's go quick quick (laughs) yeah i recorded with him recently and she is just the absolute loveliest um yeah so wonderful and such a beautiful book as well yeah no I just remembered like because I don't really read like a lot of contemporary adults and I just remembered reading and just absolutely falling in love with the writing and the story as well just the characters and it's like I always just think about the end scene and like how it just brought everything like full circle it was just a masterclass in foreshadowing I loved it yeah so I think we've got a very interesting (laughs) dinner party it's not gonna be boring Yes, yeah. There will be fireworks. There might, you know, probably be some injuries as well. But, you know, just keep our eyes on the exit. (laughs) Exactly. We need to know how we escape. So usually at this point, I would ask you who's not welcome, which is kind of an unusual question in this scenario, because you've got some morally grey characters joining us. But is there anyone you don't want to show up? Oh, I would say probably... It, like excusing race I wouldn't want any of the villains from my books so basically you know John Rush and Clement you know unfortunately you're not welcome and any kind of witch hunters as well considering that most this of the guests the are, yeah most of the guests Even have medical powers yeah 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 so it's that thing like anyone who's like a misogynist anyone who hates magic you know unfortunately you won't be getting an invite to this party okay. <laughs> Uh, this has been a very interesting novel evening because when we started this you made it sound you said very grounded and I'm not sure that's the phrase I'd use really yeah because I think it's like because I was just talking about fantasy I thought you like I think I was worried you might expect me to pick kind of characters like from like fantasy books but yeah I guess it's like I'm just drawn to like those kind of like dark characters who kind of dream of world you know domination in a way and then yeah, it shows just... the different side of you, Stacey. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess it kind of just shows, like, with the characters, it's like, like, when I'm just writing, it's like, yeah, I love, like, sometimes those, like, really kind of dark kind of characters, and I love reading about them. Yeah. I, I mean, I... very much the same. I agree. And I think because I think when you read someone who's your stereotypical hero, it's very hard to relate to them. When you've got someone with an edge of darkness or a little bit it's much easier to kind of I guess imagine yourself in their shoes yeah 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 because it's like that's what you just relate to like when they have those kind of weaknesses and I guess it's like kind of seeing them kind of overcome it like in a realistic way and then I also just love characters who are evil and then just really kind of you know revel in it as well or like you know if they've got like a like a like a bad like an evil streak yeah there's something just really quite you know joyous like as you're saying like with feral women it's like yeah like really like get into it and yeah that's why I loved like Villanelle in like Killing Eve for me was like oh god that character because she loves it she loves what she yeah does. yeah because it's kind of like if you think about when it first started it was just really liberating because usually like you would never have had like a female character like that well if you did she's been the whole season kind of rapping like oh god I'm so evil I can't believe I'm doing this and it's sort of like nope she 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 enjoys it she's very that's the thing as well I think like you say usually when you see women who are doing bad things there's always like a redemption arc or there's always yeah use as to why she's that way and when you see a woman who is just doing bad things because she loves it 
there's something really freeing about that yes yeah because even like I mean I held back from inviting Esther from the author <laughs> and it's like I know she probably has the reasons for why she's like that but it's sort of like oh god she was like nuts I mean technically I mean obviously she's a woman but like stuck in a child's body but it's sort of like you know when yeah, you have that that story keeps coming on my TikTok the one that that's Ooh. based on um the the girl who was adopted in America and it turned out she was like actually 18 and she was pretending to be a six that's a real story yeah I would highly oh. recommend looking into it it's really debated so this this couple in America um adopted I think called the Barretts they adopted this little girl Natalia they adopted her as a six-year-old and then obviously made discoveries that said to them like this girl is not six and yeah, yeah. she's like threatening them in their home and it's a wild story I'll find the link and send it to you because thank honestly, you please yeah it's, it's wild but yeah she as a character Esther that's that's very dark <laughs> yeah yeah so it's kind of like she wouldn't be welcome but it's sort of like you know I'm happy to watch the films I just like I wouldn't want to interact with her because she is she she is just merciless like yeah. we could not it would not end well for anybody we'd need the yeah. magic at that table to protect her yeah that would just be like a horror evening it's kind of like we'd just be locked in it would just be a case of like the last man like the last woman <laughs> standing yeah like it a kind of battle royal yeah yeah oh god yeah. <laughs> a battle royal like fight to the end i'd probably oh just god. be hiding under the table that's just like <laughs> that would be the best place oh my goodness yeah. this has been a very interesting novel evening um, unlike any I'd say that we've had Ooh, uh, okay. beautiful setting insane guests yes yes the it's best fun. kind of dinner party absolutely yes. and before I let you go I have to ask if you're reading anything at the moment yes so I've just started reading what we did by Natalie Chandler so it basically um she I read her like psychological thriller believe me not which is basically about a woman who kind of wakes up in hospital and she asks like where's my baby and she's told what baby so it was all about untangling her mystery so like her latest psychological thriller that I've just started I'm two chapters in but it follows like a woman called Jenna who's a kind of like she used to attend this boarding school that was infamous for like it's like kind of like kind of like gruesome kind of scandals like abuse scandals mm-hmm. so it's all about kind of trying to like find out like what actually happened in the past so I'm just really excited because I feel like when I reach on this books like when you just when you think you've had the story figure out like she throws like another twist so it's always really kind of exciting to read oh I love and that then, I love a thriller you can't predict That's yes and then I've been rereading my like kind of not old time favorite, but I guess new time favorite because it's like it's not it was kind of it, it's only been like a, out like a few years. But Mexican Gothic, there's something about it that just feels it's such like okay as much as it can be comforting reading about you know incest um, and cannibals and you know like baby eating cannibals. There's something about it's just very comforting to read and very exciting. And I really kind of love like the author like when she just describes her kind of like writing approaches like you know 70 30 in terms of pace like 70 you're building and then 30 it's like yeah we like rev the engine and we go for it so it's like it's always really exciting to kind of read those last few chapters and I I just love I just love it I've reread it like so many times I love that book so much and I gave my copy away you know when you I'm like I'm gonna pass it on to someone who I know will love it and then I massively read it so I'm gonna have to get myself I was very lucky to get a proof copy um way back when it came out 
And I was like, I'm going to pass this on to someone who will absolutely love it. And then I was like, but I wish I kept that because I want to read such a cool novel as well. I love yeah. the character. Yeah, no, she was brilliant as well. And then even like with her cousin, like Catalina, like, yeah, I love them at the end. Like just how like kind of feral they both became to survive. So yeah, yeah, it was just- Feral women, that's the the theme of this episode, I think. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it was just like, just, I just really loved it. And I think like, she's just like so good at describing atmosphere as well. So as a like writer, it's just really kind of like, like illuminated just to see how she kind of like you know sets the scene but yeah I'm so excited I need to get a copy of uh, Silver Nitrate that's just come out uh, yes no yeah. yeah I want to read it as well yeah it's on my TBR list I've pre-ordered it yeah oh I need to I need to get a copy. I've been so good and trying not to pre-order so many books because I have like four <laughs> books so oh I, god I should chip away at those a little bit before I add more but then books can't I'm like really yeah <laughs> and like, then the yeah. And then the only other book, um, like the one the only other the book I started reading as well is Immortal Longings by Chloe Chloe Gong. So again, I'm only a few chapters in, but it's kind of giving me altered carbon vibes and that it's kind of like characters who can kind of slip into people's bodies. So I just find that concept really exciting. So I'm interested to see like how it ends as well. I loved her duology that she did as well. Um, these violent delights. That was like, yes, yeah. So I'm yeah. excited for that one as well. I'm actually Chloe's coming onto the podcast in a couple. Oh of my god! Wow, is- I'll- amazing. I will be looking forward to that episode as well because it's like her writing is just so exciting. Yeah, so fun. Such a fun writer, and I love the fact we're getting all these very cool twists and turns and these kind of 1920s settings in different locations. Yes for it i love it <laughs> so good look thank you so much for coming to chat to me and i'm so excited for the rebels to be out i think it's going to do absolutely amazingly oh thank you thank you so much for having me on like my first podcast and yeah i really enjoyed it so yeah you did amazing thank you so much, <laughs> thank you, so much. Thank you. <laughs>